0: Nurses, job interviews can be anxiety-producing for most of us, and when you have to respond to objections from an interviewer, the stakes get higher and it's even more stressful. Let's talk about responding effectively to job interview objections right here on episode 137 of The Nurse Keith Show. Well, hello, everyone. What's up? And welcome to the Nurse Keith show. Thanks for being part of the Nurse Keith Nation. Whether you're listening for the first time or you've been tuning in forever. This podcast is all about you and your nursing career. And I'm here to share education, inspiration and ideas that can get you moving in a positive and inspired direction. I'm a member of the Pulse Media Network of Podcasters, along with RNFM Radio, Your Next Shift, the Gluten-Free RN, and the Introvert Biz Growth Podcast. And I want to remind you that I would be super grateful and appreciative if you'd consider leaving a rating and review over on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. If you do that for me, shoot me an email, let me know you did, and I will call you out here on the show to thank you for your generosity. If you want to see the show notes for this episode, you can follow along over at nursekeith.com forward slash episode 137. That's nursekeith.com forward slash episode 137. Anyway, as always, I am thrilled that you're here. So let's jump into the studio and dig into today's topic. Come on with me. My friends, back on Monday, December fourth, twenty seventeen, I posted a article on Digital Doorway entitled "Overcoming Objections During Job Interviews." And the reason I decided to write that blog post and then to talk about it here on the Nurse Keith Show is because so many nurses reach out to me who are in the job interview process, and one of the things that causes them the most anxiety. Worry and stress is the fact that they know that certain objections might be raised during interviews that they're sitting in. That is a very anxiety producing thing to have to go through, but most of us can expect that some sort of objection is going to be raised by the interviewer for a variety of reasons. And like I say in the blog post, this is where the rubber hits the road. And this is where you have to do the job of overcoming those objections and convincing the person who is interviewing you or the people who are interviewing you, that you're the person they want, that you're the ideal candidate that is worth the them taking the time to look at more closely and to hire. So this is your job, and boy, interviews are tough. I actually, I've never really had that hard a time in interviews, though I recall several group interviews that were pretty stressful. And so many people reach out to me because they have something in their past, something in their career history that causes them to really worry about whether that subject is brought up and how they're going to respond to it. Countering those objections is super important. It's a really crucial skill for a successful interview. And if you have had, let's say, A string of short-term jobs over a period of time and that doesn't look very good on your resume, if you've been laid off or fired, if you have a bad mark against your nursing license, all sorts of things like that can be fodder for someone to raise an objection during an interview. So you need to subdue these objections. You need to really (laughs) beat them back and you need to be able to speak positively and spin the conversation in a positive direction. I've talked about spin before, and this is where you really need to do it because if they're trying to trip you up, if they are trying to make you uncomfortable and answer to something that maybe you don't feel so comfortable or positive about. This is where you really need to summon all of your energy, all of your positivity and your belief in yourself and your inherent worth and value to be able to convince that person that their objection doesn't hold enough water to keep them from considering hiring you and bringing you on as an employee. This doesn't mean I want you to be manipulative, but it means that there is conversational judo. There is a martial art in which you need to participate in order to overcome certain scenarios such as these. So if you know that there are parts of your career history, whether recent or maybe longer ago in the past that you're going to potentially have to answer to, you need to prepare in advance. And this is something that I do with a lot of my coaching clients when they're preparing for interviews. If you've already been interviewing and you're seeing a pattern and you're being asked similar questions or similar objections are being raised time and time again, you need to sharpen your ability to respond to those. If you want to call that a counterattack, whatever you want to call it, you need to be able to spar with them. You need to be able to parry and be sure to, in a way, turn the conversation away from the negative and turn it towards the positive. So in the blog post that I mentioned, I listed some common triggers for objections to be brought up, and these objections are many. And I also mentioned these in the show notes for you at nursekeith.com forward slash episode 137. So common triggers are, number one, not having the right experience. A lot of you out there who don't have acute care experience, like me, if you try to get an acute care job or even a non-acute care job, you might be told you don't have the right experience and you need to be able to do an end run around that particular objection. Another one is that you're lacking specific clinical experience that's required or preferred for a position. Let's say you're applying for a dialysis job and you don't have renal experience, or you're applying for an ICU job or a telemetry job, and there's something that you don't necessarily know how to do that they want you to know how to do. You need to be able to convince them that you're teachable and coachable and you're a quick study. Like I mentioned earlier, having a lot of short stints at a variety of jobs doesn't necessarily look very good if it looks like you're jumping around and not staying. That says to a potential employer that you're not necessarily a loyal employee, that they're going to invest tons of money in onboarding you, and then you're going to exit stage left. Remember, an employer has to invest Usually tens of thousands of dollars in onboarding, training, and enculturating a new clinical nurse. So if you're going to skip out on them after three or four months, that money is basically down the drain. There's a lot of resources that go into that training so you can understand from their viewpoint, they want to make the right choice. Your job is to convince them that you are worth the gamble. Another thing that can stand in your way, another objection that might come up is that they may feel you're not a good fit for one reason or another. It might be their corporate culture. It might be your work history. Who knows? But being told that you're not necessarily a good fit is a fairly common objection. Now, that is a very subjective thing, too, because they've only known you for a few minutes. But... This is a tough one, but you definitely need to be able to work with that too. Another one is having been fired from a previous position, or if you have a negative mark on your nursing license, maybe you've been on probation, that is something as well that you need to be able to recover from and be able to talk your way into a job, even though you have what some might see as a quote-unquote checkered past. Another objection that comes up from many people who contact me is people who've left the nursing workforce or the workforce in general for a period of time. I often hear from nurses, mostly women, who have left the workforce to raise children or maybe care for a disabled spouse or care for aging parents. The most common one I hear from people who get in touch with me are that they left the profession to care for their children. I had a client in the last couple of years who left the workforce for about 16 years. That is a long time to be out of nursing and healthcare and not be in the workforce at all. I must say, we worked assiduously together, and she actually got a really good job that she was really happy with, and she needed to overcome that objection, one, that she was older, and two, that she had not been working for 16 years. Speaking of age, being perceived as too young or too old, too mature or too immature are also common triggers for an objection in an interview and you need to be able to speak to that as well. So these aren't the only ones. And if you have had other objections raised during an interview, I would love to know what they are because I am cataloging them. If you email me at Keith at tell me what objections were raised during one of your interviews because I would like to keep a running list and come up with various types of methods and strategies and techniques for countering and overcoming those objections. So in the blog post, I went into several, I didn't cover all of them. And you're definitely going to want to read that blog post. There'll be a link in the show notes. So one of the first ones is you don't seem to stay at jobs very long. Now, Yes, you may be someone who hops around. You may be a nursing grasshopper, and you have tried pollinating all sorts of different flowers, figuring out where you belong and where you want to be. And like I said, since onboarding a new nurse is expensive, they are definitely going to bring this up if you have a lot of short-term jobs. So you need to be able to speak to why that was the case. I did give a potential response in the blog post, and I'm actually going to read it right here. So let's say someone says, well, you've had a lot of different jobs, Ms. Jones, and we're not really sure if you would be a good fit because we're not sure you're going to be loyal to our institution. And Miss Jones can say something like, yes, that's been true and I'll explain why. My first job as a nurse turned out to not be a very good fit and I decided to seek a better situation where I would receive the support I needed to succeed. The next position was a great fit, but then I needed to go home to care for my father once he went on hospice. Following that, I had several part time and per diem positions in order to determine what I really wanted out of my nursing career. This was a really thoughtful process for me, testing the waters to see where I would like to be. Your organization's mission and vision are really aligned with why I became a nurse, and your reputation as an excellent place to work is really well known. I'm looking for a position where my loyalty and collaborative nature can shine, and I think your hospital could allow me to grow as a professional in the way I would like to. I'm looking for a new professional home, and I believe I've found it in your organization. So do you see in this response, what we did first non-defensively is we talked about the reality of the situation, why Ms. Jones had several short-term positions. It's perfectly okay to say that you didn't have the support or the precepting or mentorship that you truly needed to succeed at another position. You just don't want to badmouth another organization blatantly, but you can say that it just wasn't a good fit and you didn't get the support you needed. Now, the next thing I mentioned was that the person, Ms. Jones, was looking for an organization that would be a good fit, that would be a place that was aligned with her values, and she was looking around, trying out different facilities and didn't find what she wanted until she came across this particular organization. Now, if she was actually aware of the mission and vision and values of this organization for whom she is Interviewing, she could actually go into and mention some things right from the website of the organization and impress her interviewers that she actually understands what the mission of the organization is. That can often go over very well. It shows that you've done your homework. So she paid them a compliment, told them that it was a very good fit for her. She's been looking for a new professional home and believes that she's found it. So do you see, not all situations are the same. So many aspects of what I just said from Ms. Jones and her voice won't fit with your situation specifically, but you can see the structure of how I responded for Ms. Jones to this question about her ability to be loyal and stick around. So this is a really important one. If you've had a lot of short-term jobs, you definitely need to practice With a career coach like me, with a friend, with a colleague, with a family member, with the mirror, you can record your response on your iPhone to listen back to it. Get this down, get this script down so you know how to respond. The next one I examined in the blog post was, you lack the kind of clinical experience we are looking for. This is a major objection that is raised in many interviews, so this is where you have to bring up any relevant experience you have that is already under your belt, also bring up your love of learning the ways in which you are teachable and highly coachable, that you're, like I said in the blog post, a real go-getter who's ready for a challenge and ready to learn. So let's say you're lacking in a certain area that this particular employer is looking for, but you have something that's translatable, something that's similar. That's something you can say, like, I'm well aware of the areas where I need to grow as a clinician, and I see this position in your facility as the perfect place for me to do just that. I'm a fast learner. I pay great attention to detail. I'm very collaborative. I'm a good listener, and I believe my experience in fill in the blank, is very translatable to what you're looking for. I will make your investment worthwhile in terms of my loyalty and my work ethic and my skill. I will not let you down. So remember, if you're lacking, don't focus on the lack. Focus on what you have. Remember, spin it in a positive direction. Overcome that objection by sparring with them verbally. Turn the conversation in the other direction and talk about all the wonderful things you do know, all the wonderful skills you do have that could be translated and how you are up for the challenge. That won't always work, but it is a very good strategy and it will stand you in good stead in most situations. Another one that comes up here is We see that you have a blemish on your nursing license, so we're not sure we can take a chance on you. Let's say that you made a medication error. You can explain that, yes, you made an error. No, the patient was not harmed, but you were let go and you were forced to go. No, you don't want to say forced. (laughs) You want to say I was required to do some CEU courses on safe medication administration. They were excellent educational experiences. And since that time, my license has been 100% clean. I've been free of errors and I have really learned from this valuable experience and I am ready to get back in the saddle once again. So you can speak to that. You can speak to their empathy that everybody makes mistakes sometimes and that you are doing everything in your power, not only to compensate for your error, but to learn from your mistakes. And you want to couch this experience as having been valuable and growthful and that you've come out of it on the other side. Now, the next one that I go over in the blog post is when you've been away from the workforce for some time. So they see that as a liability and they don't necessarily want to bring on a nurse who's been not working for 10 years. This is where if you've taken time off from the workforce, it's seen as a negative negative. And especially for women, when women take time off for family or to raise children, they are often professionally punished for doing so. It's an awful thing. It's very rampant in our society, and it's very true. It is also true for men, but most often women take time off to care for family. If it's a man who's done it, boy, he might really get raked over the coals for that in this sexist, misogynist, patriarchal society. But if you were indeed taking care of children, maybe a disabled child, maybe an elderly or disabled family member, what you need to do is be able to enumerate the nursing skills that you've used during the care of those children or elders or disabled family members. If you served as an advocate, if you were like an ad hoc case manager for your father who was on hospice, if you managed medication, or if you facilitated communication between providers, make it clear how you used your nursing knowledge and how that skill was intrinsic to the positive outcomes for the family member you were taking care of. So remember, even though it's being applied to a loved one, they are still nursing skills and it's still your intelligence, your skill, your expertise, your professionalism that benefited that family member and the healthcare providers working with him or her. So make sure that you use that time away from the workforce as a positive, not a negative. Now, I have to insert something right here, and I just want to say it. I've said it before, and I'm going to say it again. If you or someone you know is about to take time off from the workforce, maybe for an extended period of time, one of the things you need to do is keep networking, keep your resume updated, do CEUs, do continuing education, go to seminars or conferences if you possibly can, and try to do at least some healthcare-related volunteer work so that something is happening on a professional level while you're taking time off from working. It's very important because it shows that you still have a hand in the game. You've got a foot in the door, and it looks much better to a potential employer that you were engaged on some level with the healthcare workforce or with the healthcare industry or the nursing profession. So taking time off is fine. Try to keep your hand in the game on some level, even if you do, let's say one per diem shift per month, you can say that you were employed during that period of time. So try to keep a hand in. It really will help you. Don't take 18 years off without working if you possibly can avoid doing so. So my friends, when you're faced with objections, you need to maintain your composure. You don't want to show that your feathers have been ruffled. If objections are being raised, they're watching you. They want to see how you function under duress. They want to see if they can rattle you. And you need to be, like I say in the blog post, unflappable. No ruffled feathers. Your self-confidence and your bright demeanor need to be the things that carry the day. Remember, your body language speaks volumes at these moments during an interview. You don't want to blow it in a pivotal turn of the conversation. So, Don't cross your arms and look defensive. Be careful about crossing your legs in a way that makes you seem very closed or make sure you're not turning your body away from the interviewer when you're feeling uncomfortable. Another thing to be aware of is your facial expressions. Many of us don't realize that when we're uncomfortable, when we're anxious, when we're not sure what to say, we look down, we look to the side, we look up that type of shifty gaze can be seen as not being entirely truthful and it can belie that you're very uncomfortable. So you want to come across as authentic and trustworthy and not overly anxious and not that you're trying to think of the right answer in the moment, but you know what you need to say. So responding to objections means that you have to be very skillful verbally and non-verbally in order to put their unease at rest. You need to be able to make their objections less important because you impress them with the ways that you can respond to those objections. And remember, when you write your thank you letter after an interview and you are writing thank you letters, correct? I know you are. Thank you for doing that. I'm so glad you are. Remember, in your thank you letter, in your response, you can respond again to those objections in very positive ways to reinforce what you said during the course of your interview. If you're having issues with self-confidence, if you're feeling like you just don't have the chops, that you're not quite sure how to address the objections that you're pretty sure are going to come up, you might need some help. Please feel free to turn to me. Email me at Keith at A little bit of coaching can go a long way. A little investment in having a successful interview experience could land you the job that you might otherwise not get because you are uncomfortable in the interview. So the power of your poise is very important, verbally non-verbally and energetically. You need to be able to walk in there, hold your head high, seem credible, and come across as someone who understands their liabilities and their shortcomings, but knows how to overcome them. One question I read in an article when I was reviewing various articles and doing research for the blog post and this podcast episode, someone said this question can be very effective if a little bold. And you can say, What else can I share to convince you that I'm your ideal candidate for this position? That is a bold question, but it's a very powerful question. You need to feel very confident to be able to ask that question, and you need to use your intuition to know whether it's the right time to play this particular card. But it can be very effective because you're putting them in the hot seat to be able to tell you what they want to hear to be able to be convinced that they can take a chance on you, that they can hire you for this position. So if you can do that, if you can ask that bold question and boldly look them in the eye with confidence and say, tell me what you need to know about me and respond in a positive way, that could clinch the interview for you. So folks, overcoming objections, turning the conversational tables in an interview isn't necessarily easy, but it's a skill you need to be able to Sharpen and really bring to the table when you need it the most. If you need my help, I can help you do that, especially if you have a special situation that you're trying to overcome and you know that those objections are going to be raised. Understand in advance what your liabilities or potential liabilities are and be prepared to speak to them because they're probably going to come up. Be ready for these special questions during interviews. They usually come up in the second half. Once they've asked their more benign questions, then they kind of go for the jugular and you need to be able to defend yourself in a non-defensive way. I know you can do it. There's plenty of people out there, including myself, who can help you. And you, like many of my clients, can overcome these objections and get the job that you really, truly want. Well, there you have it, folks. There's another diatribe, another episode from Nurse Keith. Remember that the show notes can be found at nursekeith.com forward slash episode 137. I hope you feel empowered and uplifted from this episode. If you have a colleague or friend who is facing an interview and they're super nervous, make sure to refer them to this episode and other episodes and podcasts and blog posts that I have about the interview process. I want you to take inspired action every day in the interest of your professional satisfaction and career development because you are worth it. Now, for those of you who don't know, make note that I'm now on Facebook Live every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific, which is 9 a.m. Mountain, 10 a.m. Central, and 11 a.m. Eastern. Join me for a live conversation every week on Facebook. Make sure to go to Nurse Keith Coaching on Facebook and change your preferences so that you are notified when I go live. Speaking of which... There's also going to be some spontaneous Facebook Live events like last Friday morning. So be prepared. I am coming to Facebook Live and would love to interact with you there. Did you know that you can become a patron of the Nurse Keith Show? That's right. You can join Wendy Davidson and Scott Sullivan and Bradley Sandoval, who became patrons of the Nurse Keith Show over the last half of 2017. Head over to Patreon.com/forward/slash/NurseKeith. That is P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com/forward/slash/NurseKeith to learn more about the awesome prizes and premiums you can get for becoming a monthly patron. The Nurse Keith Show is edited and produced by Tim Hollowell of thepodcastinggroup.com and social media and promotion are handled by Mark Cappiespeason. My eternal and continuing gratitude to Mark and Tim for their wonderful help with The Nurse Keith Show and Nurse Keith Coaching. Sign up for a newsletter at nursekeith.com. Click on the pink banner on the left side of the homepage to leave me a voicemail. I will even play your voice on the air if you'd like to ask me a question for the show. Check out Pulse Media at PulseMediaNetwork.com and go over to Amazon and check out Aspire to be Inspired, my latest book, Creating a Nursing Career That Matters. It is inspiration for the nurse's heart and mind. That's your heart and mind. And I would love for you to pick up a copy for Christmas for yourself or a colleague. Folks, stay positive, care for yourself and others, take inspired action in the interest of your career every day, and tune in again as we explore how to make your nursing career more satisfying and inspired than you ever imagined. Be well, dig deep, seek joy, keep in touch, and adios till next time from beautiful Santa Fe, New Mexico.